Uh, right now, we're going to continue uh, to uh, speak uh, about this this sermon series on origin, uh, kind of going back to the beginning, if you would. And uh, we've gone through chapters one, two, and we're in chapter three. And uh, today we hit an area that um, is, if, if you have any humor at all, there's like, there's just, this is like full of great moments of humor. Unfortunately, it's also full of reasons why relationships don't work. I mean, it's jam-packed. Now, um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to balance like the, the seriousness of this issue with a little bit of humor. Just cause I like to laugh. Okay. I'm gonna try to balance it out. So we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna kinda give some strong medicine with just enough sugar. You guys with me? You guys with me? So, because <laughs> we can all relate to what Adam and Eve did when they got called on the carpet by God. We can all relate. We've all been there. Uh, so, and then we're going to walk through, not only, not only look at that part of the story here in Genesis 3, but we're going to walk through a little bit about how do we communicate with somebody who we think may not be living in a way that honors God. Okay. And so we're going, to walk, we're, going to, we're going to walk through those little landmines a little bit together. Because the scripture is really clear. Here's the good news. The Bible's really clear how to do that. Like there's no ambiguity whatsoever. So we'll walk through these two things and uh, we'll see where we kind of land here at the end. So I'm just calling this, um, this part of the series Blame Game. Okay? Blame Game. And I want to read through Genesis 3, verses 8 through 13. And uh, as we walk through this, we'll kind of highlight a few areas. But I am certain, I, I, I have 100% confidence we can all relate to what happened here in these few verses. So this is right after um, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they sinned, right? So these are the following verses. And uh, the first description is just amazing to me. Uh, this verse 8 says, when, when the cool evening breezes were blowing. Now, I don't know if you're from Santa Cruz, you've been here all your life. But we just spent the last seven years in Lodi, California. It's 20 years, 20 years. What did I say, seven? 20 years. In Lodi, California. We were here seven years, then we went there for 20. 20 years in Lodi. And, and in the summertime, I mean, I know we all think it gets hot here in the summer. It's all relative, right? But in Lodi, it gets, I mean, to, to, to cross over 100 degrees is not uncommon. But the beauty of Lodi, so many times in the evening, we have what, what, what's called the Delta Breeze. And I got to tell you, you thank God every night that breeze comes in. You can open your windows. You can cool off from the heat. It is just an awesome, wonderful thing. So I love this description. When the cool evening breezes were blowing. I just think right away, the evening's there in Lodi. But, but it's a beautiful description. Uh, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking 
about in the garden and they ran to him with enthusiasm. Is that what it says? They got excited. The Lord was there once again to hang out. Wouldn't that be, could, could you even imagine that moment? What a beautiful moment. Here's this beautiful setting, this beautiful garden, this paradise. God is there with you, hanging out. And you hear him, and you, everything inside you on a good day would what? Hey! Right here! What's going on? You, you ever see, like, people who haven't seen each other in a while meet at an airport? Right? It's just like this. They're so excited. That's what should have been happening here. Should have been enthusiasm. But what did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees. By the way, this is always a futile effort, right? Hiding from God. This this idea, delusional idea. I've done it. Maybe Maybe three of you don't know what I'm talking about. I think the rest of us do. This idea of hiding from God. Sin will cause us to not want to be in the presence of God. Oftentimes, when Christians who are connected to the community, right? You've seen this. Maybe you've experienced this. They're connected to the community of faith. Once they start living a life displeasing to God, oftentimes, what do they do? They're not there anymore. Right? Because there's something about hiding from the presence of God that oftentimes follows disobedience. So verse 9 says, Then the Lord God called to the man. And I just, I, just, I, don't, know, I don't know how you read scripture, but this is how I read it. I'm wondering if this is the first time God had to do this. I wonder. Where are you? I don't know if God's going like, I'm at the spot. I don't know. Where are you? Where are you? Maybe the first time. Now, verse 10, the man replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. (laughs) He just gave it up right there. I mean, he wasn't trying to confess, but he just confessed. That's an accidental Confession, right there. Right? He wasn't trying to, but he did, whether he knew it or not. So I hid because I was afraid. Hiding fear. Hiding fear oftentimes will go hand in hand. Because I was naked, so he gave it up right there. So I love the way God works with me, I'm sure with you also. Um, oftentimes he'll just pose the right question. Right? Pose the right question. Uh, verse 11, who told you <clears throat> that you were naked? Well, that's a good question. <clears throat> you know, oftentimes if somebody's not living the life that you know they should live, <clears throat> sometimes it's best just to ask a few questions. You don't need to come hard right away and, Bring the hammer. Some of you, you think that's your spiritual gift. It's probably not. You want to bring the hammer? 
I like to say, bring the hammer to the degree that you want the hammer brought to you. To the measure you judge. The word says. What a great question. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Follow-up question. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, he knew he had. But it's just a great question. It's a great question. It's going to stir some stuff up. It's going to stir some stuff up. Now, his response should have been a simple yes. Come on. It was a simple question. And it demanded a simple response. How many non-simple responders do we have in the room? (laughs) Yes, should have been the response. The question was clear. It was self-evident. And Adam already gave it away earlier. Should have been a yes. Sure would have, it would have, I think it would have, Change the whole outcome here. But what did he do? Verse 12. The man replied. It was a woman that you gave me. Come on, man. Help me out. I mean, there's only four characters in the story. God, Adam and Eve, and the serpent, right? It's only four in this narrative. It was a woman that you gave me. Do you remember earlier in the story how excited he was when he received the woman? I don't know about your Bible. Mine has exclamation point was in his response. He was excited. He went from, she's a blessing... You gave me to God. Why'd you Why'd you do that, God? Now none of you would do that. <clears throat> I have. None of you would. <clears throat> I have. It was a woman you gave me, <clears throat> uh, who gave me uh, the fruit, and I ate it. But it wasn't my fault. Not my fault. Not my fault. Verse 13, God's not done with the room. Then the Lord God asked the woman. Now, he's not like, like Adam's not off the hook yet. He's just, he's just going through. He's calm. He's going to make sure everyone's included in this conversation. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? I like that's kind of an open-ended question. I like that one. Open-ended, right? Another good way to ask questions. What have you done? The serpent. Now it's not in here, but here's how I read this: that you created, right? Craftiest, the most crafty, right? So the Bible says the serpent. 
I read, that you created. Deceive me, God. I was deceived. I mean, it was, it's not my. Not, they're not owning anything here at all. Uh, she replied, that's why I ate it. So they both had excuses for why they disobeyed God. <clears throat> blame game. So they blamed God and they blamed others. <clears throat> Am I talking to anybody at all? They blamed God <clears throat> and they blamed others. You see, if you can't blame God or others, there's only one person left in the story. <clears throat> there's only one person left in the story. So, here's how this process works. Here's how the blame game works. First, you deny all responsibility. Denial is where it begins. If you're good at this game, some of you are going, man, I wish you'd stop talking about me. If you're good or, or you know someone that's good at this game, you, you first got to deny any responsibility. Secondly, you got to find a scapegoat. This is real important if you're going to play this game. You got to find somebody else whose fault it is, right? Scapegoat. And finally, if you're really good at this, I mean, think Washington, D.C. This guy would be like class 101 for new people in D.C. Actually, I think when they're new, they're probably a lot more innocent. But number three, you've got to become the victim in the story. Not only was it not your fault, you're now the victim in the story. I mean, after all, Eve was deceived. It's not her fault. She's the victim in the story. I mean, Adam, poor guy. This woman that the Lord gave him. I remember one guy who's preaching on this. and He said, uh, you know, Eve was naked. And she had food, he was going to fail automatically. I don't know. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Anyways, so deny the responsibility, find the scapegoat, become the victim, versus contrast to what would have made this story a lot easier if he would have just repented, confessed, owned up. A lot easier. I don't know why, and I'm part of this too, I'm talking to myself. I don't know why we think the blame game will put us in a better position than repentance. But we do, oftentimes. So many times. But the truth is, confession and repentance will put us in a far greater position than the blame game. You guys agree with that, right? We all agree with that? So what is repentance? It's the act of changing one's mind. It starts right here. Always starts with the mind. Repentance. In fact, that's really in, at the heart or spirit of that word is a mental change. A mental change. We're basically saying my, my way is wrong. God's way is right. I'm going to close the gap by going God's way. 
That's where it starts, right here. You make a mental note. You reason that I was wrong and God is right. It starts right here, though, as far as repentance. Also in the word is this idea of a 180. You were heading south, negative turn, head north. You'd go a whole different direction. You're no longer going your way. You're going to go God's way. So think 180, a complete turnaround. And I found this definition a long time ago. I love it. And it simply says this as far as repentance. In its fullest sense, it is a term for a complete change of orientation involving a judgment upon the past and a deliberate redirection for the future. So important to get that. So important to get that. And in the middle of all that is this idea that God is right. I am wrong. God is right. My ways are wrong. God's way is right. Which which would have fared a lot better if Adam and Eve could have done that. Right? And maybe you, me for sure, maybe you, you've had moments in your life you you wish you can do have a redo, a do-over. You wish you just could have fell on the sword, admitted it, took took <laughs> took whatever consequences that was going to bring, right? and then moved on, moved on. Repentance allows you and I to move forward. Blame game. We're stuck. We're stuck. We played the blame game. <clears throat> so repentance, in contrasting to the blame game. Repentance goes like this. First, I confess my sin. I admit what I did was wrong. Confess. you got to admit it. One. Two, ask God and others uh, who were involved in whatever I did, you got to ask them for forgiveness. Now, God's always going to forgive you. Others. You know. <sighs> Sometimes it's a, it's a coin flip. You know? <laughs> I don't know. But your responsibility, my responsibility, is to at least admit it and ask for forgiveness. If they don't forgive you, that's now on them. Come on, how many in the room? Someone's asked you to forgive them, and you're like, not until you suffer. Not until you grovel. Come on. Once or twice. But our responsibility is to ask, to be humble enough to ask. And then finally, the last part of this repentance is we got, we got to change whatever we were doing. we got to change our ways to do it God's way. Without action, there is no repentance. There's just feeling bad. I can feel, I can feel bad about a lot of things. I can feel bad and do nothing. I feel bad about that. There's a great scripture in Psalm 150. I'm just going to read it. Oh, I'm sorry, Psalm 51. <clears throat> King David uh, is going to have this prayer of confession of repentance. Right? For what he did with Bathsheba. Now, notice. Let's not give him too much credit. He repented and confessed only after the prophet Nathan confronted him. So let's not, you know, 
He's going to get partial credit here. But he lays out I think, a heart and a spirit of what repentance could look like. Here's what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I think uh, there's a lot of wisdom here. Obviously, he knew God. He knew the word. And he's kind of reminding God that he's a forgiving God. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Come on. I would recommend that. If you're going to pray to God for forgiveness, remind God. God, you're a merciful God. Man. Verse 3, for I, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. Now, was that true as far as consequences? No. There were several people who had some serious life consequences because of David's sin. My sin causes consequences to others, whether I want to or not. It does. But in his heart... He took ownership of a sin that really, ultimately, he was just sinning against God. That's a good, healthy place to be. Very good, very healthy place to be. He says, I have done evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. So again, he's realigning his thinking with God's thinking, with God's instructions with God's word. He's realigning himself. He was off the path. He's trying to get back on path. Verse five. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He was just longing to have that intimacy with God again. Have you been there? It's that longing to have that intimacy with God again. <clears throat> Verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. By the way, when, you, when God's using you to help turn a sinner back to God, uh, it's, it's always best to remember that you and I are sinners ourselves. God uses wounded healers to heal other people. He works through people who are already wounded to heal other wounded people. I like what somebody said. We're just, we're just beggars trying to help other beggars find out where the crumbs are. Right? Trying to get back to who we're supposed to be. So it's real important to contrast the blame game to repentance, to confession of our sin. Now, Let's talk quickly about um, when we want others to repent. Okay. 
And by the way, before I even get to this, just a quick reminder for three of you in the room. <clears throat> Maybe a couple of you online. Hey, I'm down to a couple online, not all. Uh, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin. It is not a spiritual gift. Only the Holy Spirit can convict people of sin. That is not my responsibility. That is not your responsibility. As much as you wish it was. It's not. So, when those, there's people in our lives that we are hoping will get back on track with God. And we feel a nudge that God wants us to speak to them. Start with prayer, obviously. But speak to them. And I would say it's, it's good to speak to those who, who we already have permission to speak into their lives. Right? We already have permission. We're already in relationship. I think that's who God uses the most. Uh, most effectively, certainly. Those who are already in close relationship. But when, when that happens, what do you do? How do you do it? And by the way, when you speak to somebody, when God puts on your heart to do it, and you follow God's instructions, you are not in charge of the outcome of that conversation. Only God is. If you're doing it right, if you're doing the right thing the right way, only God's in charge of the outcome. So here's some, here's some verses. Let's walk through a few things here. Ephesians 4.15. It's a great verse to memorize. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Can we say those words together? The truth in love. One, two, three. The truth in love. One more time. The truth in love. One more time. The truth in love. I always say lead with love, backfill with truth. That'll keep you in a safe place. Some of you live with the machine gun of truth. And you occasionally backfill with love. Don't do that. (laughs) We got to do the right thing the right way. Doing it the right way is just as important as doing the right thing. Character matters. So we're going to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So with that framework, I, I, want, to, I want to go to 2 Corinthians. This is a very interesting verse. Paul wrote some very strong words to this church. The church of Corinth, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with it, Read it, First, Second Corinthians. They, 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 they were doing everything wrong a church can do wrong. Everything. They were doing it all wrong. So Paul had to come in kind of hard. And, and here's what he wrote in 2 Corinthians. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you, for a little while. Anyone ever get confronted by somebody who spoke truth to you that you didn't want to hear? Mm. Wow, that can hurt. That can hurt really bad. Verse 9, now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to what? Repent and change your ways. Which was the reason Paul spoke the truth in the first place. He told him the truth. Right? 
But but the truth and love oftentimes will lead to repentance and people changing their ways. He goes on, it was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. In other words, the end result was you were not harmed at all. In fact, you're better. You're better for it. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Yay, God. Yay, God. Results in salvation. It leads us away from sin. We repent away from sin and we head towards being rescued by God. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. And then Paul says these words, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Now, let me say a phrase that's so critical to hear. Uh, it's certainly at least for me to speak right now. The church that preaches salvation without repentance preaches no gospel at all. Do you agree with that? The church that preaches salvation without repentance preaches no gospel at all. And that's true with us as individuals. If we are trying to win somebody to Christ, the power of God through us, the word of God through us, at some point, there's some moments of, uh, you got to turn from your ways and head towards God. You gotta repent. Do the 180. Change the way you think. Agree with God. You gotta agree with them. So the church that preaches salvation without repentance preaches no gospel at all. So repentance that leads to salvation. Let's, let's wind this down. Just a few verses that remind us again about the power of repentance and where it brings us to a great place. It brings us to a good place. Repentance and confession should be good words. Positive words, healthy words, life-giving words. So Peter preached the first sermon of the church in Acts chapter 2. He says this, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? That's like, yay God, man. That verse is like, that's a core verse for the Assembly of God Network. Okay, right there. But it's rooted and is turning to God, repent, turning from our way of living to his way of living and admitting it. Acts twenty twenty one, the Apostle Paul says this, I have had only one message for Jews and Greeks, right? The people of God before Christ and the Greeks, the rest of us after Christ, right? I've only had one message consistently. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? We got to see repentance as a beautiful word, as a powerful word, as a good word. Something, we, do you know, one of the spiritual habits of the early church was confession. 
Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to recommend you, you, you got to find the right people to confess to. The last thing you want to do is confess to a group and everyone's confessing in the circle. And by the time you get to the last person, their confession is they have trouble with gossip. You don't want to confess in that circle. I'm telling you right now. But you need people that you can confess to. It should be a spiritual discipline, a habit of healthy Christians. Finally, and the music team come back up, 2 Peter 3.9. Peter writes these words, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient, his second coming, the return of Christ. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to what? I don't know. Again, the way I read the Bible, maybe it's conventional. I don't know. But every now and then, I'm like, you know, the Father and the Son are up in heaven. You know. Jesus. Like, now? <laughs> Father's like, you know what? Just let's give let's give a few more people a chance. I think that's kind of what's happening. He's waiting. He's being patient so that people will come to repentance and turn to God. I don't know where you are today, but I hope you have turned to Him. And if you haven't, what a great day to do it! What a great day to turn to God. To stop going your way. Say, God, I want to go your way now. I want to follow you. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want to pray right now, and then we'll sing these songs. And if you want to have a conversation about this afterwards, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for each person here. God, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for the clarity. I'm so grateful how you, you just are constantly wanting to move us towards a healthy place in our life. So, God, I pray uh, every Christian here, Father, will will practice the habit of confession, the spiritual discipline of confession to to the right people. Give them the right people, Father. Give all of us the right people. And then, Lord, I pray if anyone here has not yet completely surrendered their life to you, they have not uh, turned from their ways towards you, God. Perhaps this is their day, Father God. I want to welcome into your family. And we trust you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 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 Let's uh, let's sing.